Hey everyone, welcome back to another 31 minute podcast. This is Jackson, by the way. Hi dad. <laughs> hey Jack. This you is going? your idea. Yeah, this is my, my I feel podcast. feel like I'm being taken over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like, obviously we talk about frequency and business and things a lot and not really about you. Yeah. And like where you've come from. And I feel like... Makes I, I feel, me nervous, Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like people know, but not as... I don't know. I feel like you're a very private person usually. Mm. And I felt like we could open you up a little bit in this one. Give it a go. And see how it goes. So I want to start with my my first question. Yeah. Do you think... Because we have lots of questions uh, coming, but do you think that you kind of... Because you were quite an avid drug user back Mm -hmm. in the day. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it kind of applies to the same thing with work? Like, because all all you wanted to do was drugs back then and now it's like work, 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 gut health, gut health, gut health, and it's like this big thing. Do you feel like that's kind of like a strain in you? Uh, I think so. I I think that that driven part's sort of always been in me a little bit. Um, Even when I was a surfer, when I was young, I'd always be on the beach in the dark mm. waiting for the sun to come up and if I even go back to when I was in primary school um, I used to get to school at like 7.10 so like school didn't start till 9 o'clock and I used to just sit there on the seat waiting for school to start and, and I used to I don't know I used to get up early like I used to go to bed I used to go to bed really early and wake up really early and I there's a show called so before you were born TV wasn't like it is now and there was like three stations I think so there's like well, there might have been seven, nine, and two, but they turned off. Mm. Like you could only watch until, say, eleven o'clock at night or whatever time it was. And then they turned off, and then they'd start again. And the first show to come on again in the morning was Bonanza, mm. and there's this country and western show at five in the morning, and that was when TV turned on again. So I used to be sitting up and waiting for that to come on because I'd be awake from like four o'clock or something, yeah, just right. sitting in the house. Yeah. And my dad was a real chronic alcoholic, so he was always like not really present ever mm. and just drunk all the time. Mm. And my mum was, I think, just always stressed. So, like, it's not great deal supervision in my house. And then, so I used to um, just get, like, get myself ready and just go to school at like seven o'clock in the morning. Mm. And school was only down the, like, across the road. Yeah, so, right. Um, just wait there. I used to sit there. So, yeah. I'd al- I've always been a bit like that. Mm. So, um, I think when I started using drugs, it was more like, uh, like I went from the beach to the city, started partying, and it was like a whole new world opened up. Mm. But if I'm really honest, I think I started taking drugs because of my insecurities. That like you just open up sort of thing? Yeah, like uh, it made me feel like someone different. And I had a lot of problems when mm. I was a kid. So I like, had a lot of issues, you know, a bit like Logan. But, yeah. Um, and then also with sex, mm. like you become a champion yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So I just sort of got caught in that whole thing. And then I saw maybe the more I got involved in the drug scene, the more identity I created. Mm. So you became sort of someone because you were just crazy mm. and you just do whatever. Yeah. And you were a bit like that when you were younger. Yeah, I yeah. agree completely. Yeah. No, that, that's the thing. Yeah. And, th- and that was sort of what, I, what happened. But then um, when, I, when my life all fell apart and then I went to Terrigal... I sort of made a decision to turn my life around, but I could see that I had to like just be absorbed by it. Otherwise, I would, 
I've never been a half in, half out person. Mm. Yeah, I've always been, if I'm going to do something, I do it. Like if I'm not, I'm not. It's like with you. I, you know where you stand with me because I just say it. Yeah. And I think, so to answer your question, it's a bit in me. So you're creative. Yeah. You love doing your videos and things like that, but you also love your time, you know, mm. to take the dogs for a run and yeah. things like that. Whereas yeah. I could quite easily just have ice baths, saunas, work all day and every day and that's it. I'd, that wouldn't get boring for I you? I could live in a cave and do it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you get a bit bored. Oh, I, I feel know. like you'd have to take Tara. Like. Oh, I'd take Tara, of course. Yeah, yeah. Tara would be there. See, yeah. 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 But I, I'd be happy doing that. I find happiness in the routine. Whereas yeah. You're, you're more creative. You find happiness in the flow of things. Did you used to have a routine all the time? Or was it like... Yeah. Like compared to now with like your gut health and all, all that kind of stuff. Have you always had some sort of like morning yeah. routine, day, night yeah. routine? I, used to, I remember when I was like 12 years old, I used to take my dad's push bike. It was like the old racing... I don't know what you call them. Racing sort of bikes. It wasn't a racing bike, but it was like adults. The one with the bars that go they down. go down, yeah. And yeah. every day at, like after school, I'd go riding around, I don't know where I used to go, like kilometres, just pushing myself. Mm. So I'd always, I've always had that bit of routine in me. Mm. Yeah. Should we get into the questions? Let's go. Any other questions? You got any other questions? Because you said, Dad, I've got a few questions. Uh, yeah. I kind of know them all. Oh, like, you do? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, not, not all of them, I guess, but... Um, I saw a few good ones in here yesterday. All right, well, let's go on then, and if anything about. pops up, because I know you have more things on your mind, but, and feel free to ask, it's yeah, fine. If it pops up, I'll jump in. There's a lot of questions, so we'll go through them as quickly as we can. Yeah, for sure. So people don't get bored. Um, we'll try and answer all of them if we can. I'll cut this part out, but so are they, do you just want all the questions in yeah. there, whether they're work-related, yeah, you related, everything? everything. Okay. Yeah, maybe you can say, like, just from the top, Dad, let's just go from the top to the bottom and yeah. we'll do it as quick as we can. All right, let's just go from the top to the bottom, Dad. Um, so these are questions people sent in. People have sent these ones in, yeah. yeah. How do you know when it's time to leave your job? When you don't like it anymore and you just feel like you can't be there. But uh, is it, it's a, a tricky one because you don't just want to go leave, you want to make sure you're emotionally steady, then leave. Mm. Like it feels like you don't want to leave on a rap. It's like... Uh, when people get divorced, they fight with their wife or whatever for years and then take themselves over here and then they end up doing the same thing again. It's mm. like, um, yeah, you've got to be completely emotionally steady and almost wish it well. Yeah. And you'll attract another opportunity. Where can I find the Matt Steinway prospecting system? Agent school. Agent school, yeah. yeah. How to deal with guilt after selling an investment that didn't go well for a client? Happens... Sometimes just if you did your best, you did your best. That's all you can do, mm. you know. And sometimes you, I say to people, if it's not the best price, I, I sometimes say, look, I would have loved to do a little bit more. But I always say to people when they take when they make a decision to take the offer, I'm not I'm not pressuring you to take an offer. Like there's zero pressure this end. If you want to take the offer, that's up to you. It's got to be you see more value in the closure of it then going back to market and finding somebody else. So that's what I always say, and I let them make the decision. Even though they're not going to feel great about it, sometimes we judge it on price, whereas the other people, the owner might have, they might get more value out of having the thing closed and done and finished. Mm. So try not to get too absorbed in it and handle it very neutrally when you're doing it. When you push people into stuff, they don't like it. Mm. Can you come to America? Yeah, I'd love to speak in America. Yeah, that'd yeah, be good. Definitely. Um, how are you after losing your son? 
I've lost both parents. Can't imagine losing my child. Well, how are you? Better now, like, than I was. Not that I'm good, but I don't know. It's almost as if, like, it's weird to say, but it's almost like you kind of want to not, not block him out, but, like, it, like, say I'm scrolling through Instagram and I see, like, a photo of him or mm. someone posts this. It's like you go back down to where you were. Mm. It's like I miss him heaps and it's, like... You know, ever, you wish it would never happen, and all these kind of. I could sit here and say all that, but it's like it's just such like a like bad time. The, the last very bad time. The, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. It's the worst. And then I feel like every time I see or hear about, I love talking about nice things about Logan, like the stories and for how funny he was. But like when you talk about how sad it is and this and that and the other, I just kind of check out mm-hmm. because I, I just don't want to feel like that anymore. And I don't reckon Logan would want people to be like that like nah. you know what I mean yeah I do see a lot of myself in him mm. you know I see like that's the part where I'm like oh if he just hung on a bit more then no I reckon he would have got through it and mm. learnt from it and used all the all the messiness in his life for positive yeah for good but you know like I also understand why he did what he did yeah so like when I say that it's like yeah it, it you can get to a point where you're so low you just don't think you can get yourself out of it yeah so um yeah not easy, but it's, we're pulling together. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, think we're doing. I talk to him all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what age did you stop drinking and taking drugs? Um, well, I think there's a question about relapses. So I stopped when I was about 24, something like that. But I was pretty bad. Like I used to um, inject probably half an ounce of cocaine every day and maybe half an ounce of speed every day. Every day? Yeah. Wow. I was a very bad drug addict, but um, but I've had a number of relapses along the way. Mm. Yeah. So probably in the last, uh, maybe since I've been with Tara, mm. like I don't think about it at all now. No. Not one bit. Like I wouldn't, I, the cost versus the two seconds of fun just doesn't even come into my mind. Mm. But it's taken me 20 years to get there, more. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, do you find it hard to like, is that why you don't go out or go see people? Because I could now. The, the temptation? I just or? don't like it. I just don't like being around that environment, the energy of it. I, I just really protect my energy these days more than anything. What about being around people that do it? Like not, when they're, not when they're on it, but like say, like people that are avid drug users on the weekend. Is that something that you'd associate with? I don't with? attract them into my world anymore. Mm. Yeah, so they're just, plus I'm older, so my friends are older and they sort of change. But yeah. um, if I could do it all again, I'd probably... Yeah, we've chose not to, not to have them. But I learn all these things from them. So I don't know. I think it just is what it is. Mm. But yeah, I've had many relapses. Yeah. Yep. How do you think people in general view real estate agents? No you, good. It's always said you're a rare one, by the way. Yeah, no good. Like, and it's no good because you know what I think with real estate is a, um, it's a very hard industry because you're dealing with people's emotions, money, but also, people might not sell their house for a long time. So when you get an opportunity, it could take a really long time to get another one. And I think that's why some, some agents push so hard and they feel like a bit desperate around things. Um, I also think that real estate agents aren't very skilled, especially in the earlier stages because they're not trained properly. And I th- all the all the rules and things are tightening up which i think is a lot better but 
go back a few years ago, you could literally just start selling real estate and have no idea what you're doing. Have a five-day course and then off you're going and selling people's biggest asset. So many years ago, I saw that the thing that I brought to a sale is the ability to negotiate on an owner's behalf. And I, I really absorbed myself in learning that over the last 20 odd years and you know I went and learned from the best I, every training thing I could and I, I created my own model and I, th- I think once I learned how to negotiate properly and without the push and without the self agenda so much like there's a time to influence but it's more a process once I learned how to do that and become extremely skilled at it um, my personal brand changed as well I think people could see that um, I brought a lot more value to their sale than somebody who just opens a door and hopes a buyer wants to buy the house so even today like um, even today I'm more interested in finding the right buyer for the home than just trying to jam a sale together it doesn't sound like much at the moment but when you're selling a home that the difference between the right buyer and a moderate buyer could be 10% to an owner. I mean, Mm. that could be 300 grand, it could be 800 grand. Like, I'd rather take my time and find that person, which I do, that's that's how my whole business model is, Mm. than have an owner sell their house, have a fairly unpleasant experience because it just doesn't feel right. And a lot of real estate agents... um, they're so keen to get, uh, be careful how I say it, but they're so keen to push a deal together. You know, and that's how you get paid. I understand that. But it's also, there's a, a balancing act between helping an owner identify, because you're representing them. You're like an extension of them. That's why they employ you. That's why they pay you. And then it's like there's a, a real... Uh, your job is to go and find the very best qualified buyer with the highest emotional position and if you can get a bit of competition going with someone that's the best format you can find it doesn't always happen but you can still find the best a-grade buyer for that home and probably such a personal thing and i think sometimes agents they don't communicate properly owners don't know what's happening plus they try and get owners down in price too quickly sometimes there's a time and a place to do it but you've got to you've got to have it's like a con- consultative process with an owner you can't always get the price of a house right but there's a consultative process where you you join up with an owner you you keep them fully informed you help them feel their way through the market then they'll come with you there's not this whole push and pull and unpleasantness along the way so much sometimes there is but not much if you come from that place, you'll have happy clients all of the time, even if the price isn't exactly where you thought it would be. Because you're not, you're not a fortune teller. You can't exactly pick it, but you have a fair idea. So if you're really prepared, you're really researched, you have a great communication plan, and you can give the owner the best chance of protecting in price, that's, I think, the industry would be way better if, if agents did that. Um, so do you feel like... There's, there's just- some amazing agents out there, by the way. But I think... The barrier to entry for real estate before was so low that literally people could just get into it, provide terrible service, tell owners anything, tell one the buyer one thing and an owner something else. And it was just like, it just was a very 
un, not managed well experience. And I think people feel that. Mm. I think that's why they look at an agent, agents as a whole and go, yeah, they, they sort of paint them with one brush because it was a bit the Wild West for, for many years. I think now it's changing though. Do you think it's all the flashy cars and like like those? You know, <laughs> that's yeah. a much much more simple way to put it. Yeah, now. like you know the videos you send me, like those yeah. the, the, that real estate thing we watch. Yeah, I do. It's like it's well, like go to that side now. Yeah, yeah, all these Rolls Royces and fancy watches and dark suits. It's like you just rock up in. I get, I get the suit because it's like you're dressing nice. You go yeah. to somebody's house. Sorry, maybe I maybe I was going on about it, about the function of real estate, but no, that's right. I think people want to hear that as well. I think I think you're right. I think um, like often I pull up at people's houses and they thought they if they don't know me that well they'll call me out to see their house and they'll say oh gee i thought you'd have a much better car than that it's a good and, car <laughs> well, it's just a, not, yeah. 2019 land cruiser but yeah. um i just cancelled my new car i was going to buy a new one a new land cruiser but i thought i don't need it mm. um yeah i do i actually sorry on that side of it yeah i think there's a an ego when you when you when you demonstrate your ego based on these things but hang on, there's there's some really successful agents in Sydney that actually that's part of their brand. But, do you but, think that, but that's they're a lot. very successful. Do you think that's a lot because the areas that they're working yeah. in Sydney, everyone has those? Uh, Alex Phillips, Gav Rubenstein, Michael Paglia, like they're all got beautiful cars. Mm. But you know that they are the top of the tree in terms of real estate, and maybe that's just part of yeah the area that they live in. Yeah, you know Bellevue Hill and all these areas, like the, the most expensive suburbs. So it's probably like a a match for the clients they're going to. Mm. But I think a lot of agents feel they're going to be perceived as more successful, whereas if they've got this expensive car and, you know, these amazing suits and shoes, and I just think you've got to be really well presented. I, I could have a, a Toyota Corolla and be just as successful as I am today. Mm. And if anything, I'm more drawn to a toy, Toyota Corolla than anything now because I like to be a bit under um, positioned. Mm. So, like, it's all about the job you do. Mm. Like, if you do an amazing job and people could not give a crap about what car you have yeah like honestly they couldn't and my car's not very i never wash my car it's disgusting (laughs) uh, there's that many water bottles in the back seat it's nuts yeah i think humility is actually the stronger the the most powerful tool that you have in real estate Mm. when uh, i've been at many people's homes and i sit across from the table from them and that halfway through the meeting they go you are nothing like i thought you were they say it to my face. Is that because I've just seen you on social media? Well, no. I, I think they just think that Matt Steinway is this successful real estate agent and I'm going to be an absolute wanker when I yeah, get there. And, right. and I'm, I'm quite humble when I go to people's houses. Mm. I'm direct. Mm. I'm blunt. Well, you I'm, are in general, though. Yeah. Unless you're, like, getting angry at somebody for something. So that's probably <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> yeah, only me. Next but, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, another one about Logan... What's the one about, Logan? How, how are you doing after you lost your son? Oh, yeah. Just another one. Um, and, I, and I want people to understand, we don't just brush it aside. Like, there's yeah. days I'll, I'll hear a song and I'll just start crying. There's yeah. other days where I'll be angry at him. I'm like, you friggin', you friggin' little idiot, why did you do that? And yeah. there's other days where I'm like, I just wish he was here. Yeah. You know? So you go through this whole washing machine of emotions. Yeah. It, it's not easy. The hardest thing I've ever had to... I find it hard through. to talk about now as well, a little bit. Just like... Yeah. Yeah, like I don't want to brush it aside, but it's just like I feel like I'm I'm going to need another two to five years before I'm like. Oh, you'll never be right. No, not not properly. Mm. No, I mean like he was, he was a maniac. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, he was a maniac. You know, when the surf was really good the other day, like you know, you and that's, I. That's that's what gets me on the beach every day. Like yeah. I don't think people understand. Yeah, 
we stood on the beach every day. Like I taught him how to surf. I wore flippers for three years teaching him how to surf when mm. he was a baby. Mm. And then um, he, he just had something special, like mm. in the surf. Like mm. he was just amazing. And he's, um, yeah, we stood there. You filmed him from like, what, you were like eight years old or something? Yeah, eight or seven. Eight or seven or something. Or something. And then every day we'd go to the beach in the mornings, every Arvo, every day. Like I'd pull him out of school, take him to the beach. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> the teachers are like, you can't keep pulling Logan out of school. I'm like, he wants the surf's good. I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah, yeah. Some days I'd say he'd have the chiropractor. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. but we miss him dearly. Yeah, we do. Um, any little siblings for summer? Nah, I don't think I can do any more. No. I think uh, it's really up to Tara, but I'm not sure. Like, I don't think so. Mm. We've we got a great one. You'll be 80 by the yeah, time. Yeah, I will be 80. <laughs> yeah, 10. I remember, I'm 51 now. Yeah. So there's, um, uh, no. Oh, I'll say no, but I'll... That's <laughs> 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 what Tara, Tara, Tara was asking me about it. She's like, yeah. oh, I think I might have... And I, was like, I was like, please, no. I was like, I'll leave the decision to her. There's that many Steinways from here. It's crazy. <laughs> Hardest cycle you've ever done? Harder cycle, yeah, uh, like steroids, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, well, probably tre- trend, um, tests, stenazole, mastrone. Um, what else was there? I don't do these things now, but a few years ago, yeah, like uh, whatever, <laughs> like just a whole lot of stuff, mm. yeah, that was um, but it sent, it sent me a bit crazy too. Yeah, yeah. But when I was younger, I was a bodybuilder, so I don't think people realise that. Like, mm. when I was younger, I was um, 130 kilos, so I was like quite big. You were a doorman, right? On a, I was a doorman on the on Oxford Street. A doorman that just partied and didn't actually I just work. I wasn't yeah. really like a fierce doorman, but I, I was a doorman for a long. Was that like the thing time. back then? Like everyone was just juiced up party heads. Yeah. Mm. So I think bodybuilding was like the thing back then, like in the. I don't know what it was, like 90s or early 90s or something. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I probably did more then. Yeah. I almost died. So I, um, I partied and took so much gear then. I uh, went to the doctors because I was just weighing so much blood. And he said that you've probably got six months to live. Um, I got some tests done and all my kidneys shut down. I had two, only, there's like five functions in there. I only had two left. And mm. he said, you'll, you'll be dead in six months. Wow. So I got in a plane and went to England. And then um, I was going out with a, quite a girl that was quite wealthy. She bought me a ticket to England. I didn't have any money. And wow. She was going there anyway. And then I, as soon as I got there, I hooked up with this guy who was a partier from Australia. <laughs> and he was actually on TV over here. He was on Neighbours. And then we just started partying together and then I just kept taking drugs over there but I stopped all the steroids and stuff then right so I just partied for two years over there alright next one top three near death experiences uh, I've overdosed four or five times taking the hospital like this, they are whole stories in themselves mm. and then but there's one time I had a near death experience it was not very good I, in, I injected way too much cocaine I was in my mate's house little studio apartment and um, I was convulsing so badly and I knew if I closed my eyes, I'd die. It's a long story, but anyway, I just focused on this hat on the wall and then, I don't know what happened, something come to take me away and it was not very friendly. I don't know, I was not going to heaven. I don't know where I was going. Mm. And I just fought it with everything I had in my mind and then like literally, it looked like a dog with tusks. I don't know, I wasn't hallucinating. Mm. I can still picture it now. Mm. 
And then I just fought it. I just didn't want to go. I was like, I'm not going. I was like, going, like it's hard to explain, but I was fighting it so hard. It's a longer story than that, but mm. um, that's the only near-death experience. It's I've funny. Had. Most people would stop probably doing drugs after seeing something like that. Yeah. And you just didn't care. Nah. Oh, you do got to understand, Jack. I had no regard for anything. Mm. You know, I was like a walking animal. Mm. Do you still have triggers? No. No? Not no. at all? No triggers. No. I used to all the time. Mm. Like, and drinking. Mm. So, well, if I drunk now, if I had a beer or two, I, that, you, it's, the, it's the drink. Yeah, like, I agree. Yeah, it's the drink. Like, I'd be fine. That's why I relapsed, because I'd be like, you know, you go through, you, I think you relapse for a couple of reasons. You're in a whole lot of pain, mm. like from a divorce or something, and you just, it, it seems like a relief. But I'd go to like, I'd be like, oh, I reckon I can have a beer now. It might be five years before I'd had one mm. and I'd have a beer or two. And literally I would be like, oh, okay, cool, let's go and get my phone. I could be a family dinner or something. Mm. I'd be like texting someone and be like the local drug dealer and say, okay, let's, I'll be over in half an hour or whatever. And then off I'd go for a day or two. And it's the, it's the drink. That's why drinking is like, it's not just that. Drinking's no good for you anyway, but drinking... I reckon is the start of the triggers. I agree. Every, every, I've never once gone to, like say I've gone to the beery sober, not had any drinks. I'm there for half an hour and I'm like, oh, I just want to go home and play Xbox, go mm. to bed. Mm. But like, it's like the three or four beers before, it's like you already decide in your brain that you're going to go out and get on it. You do. Because mm. there's going to be drinks, you go out and get on it and then you you weren't home for days. I'm, yeah. I'm running in at five in the morning. It's like, yeah. it's just the worst. It's no good. No, it's yeah. terrible. So that's the answer to that. Um, how long have you been training for? Oh, since I was a kid, but I gave it up. So I gave up. So I surfed all my life from Maroubra and then went into the city when I was 18, never came back, partied for five or six years they left because they became homeless and then left it went to Terrigal and then I just worked for like 15 years mm. and then one day Shelly my ex-wife said you should start surfing again so I started surfing again when I was 35 or something I don't know the age but around that so I used to go up to the north entrance mm. at five in the morning and just surf on my own it's at a the big drive yeah, it's sharky out there but too. I had to teach myself how to surf again. I couldn't surf. So yeah, right. Yeah, I'd be out there with like, it's the sharkiest beach in the world. Yeah. I'd just be out there by myself in the dark Where? surfing and then teach my, taught myself again. Then I started surfing again and then surfed with Logan and you and all that and then um, gave up surfing again. To get massive. Well, just to, <laughs> oh, my body was changing and yeah. I was like, well, I didn't want to look like a surfer. Uh, older surfing man I yeah. just want to look like that no yeah. yeah. do you think you could surf now like sa- sa- say really. someone gave you a big enough board no not really I wouldn't enjoy it no like I like the thin boards a bit more yeah. not high performance but a bit more like flexible turn around and, yeah. Yep. yeah how can grief affect your health it's, it's, it's that's what happens mm. like because you end up grief is, a, is low on the vibrational scale that's one of the reasons with Logan I had to move myself out of there and you mm. like you and other kids as well Phoenix and Paris and all of that I could just see everything crumbling mm. everything's falling apart all of you you just came out and you were just like I, not, I don't want to come out of my room I just want to stay in there I just want to I don't want to be do anything and yeah. I could just see the grief was affecting everything so badly so I had to move myself up the vibrational scale and grief is, I reckon, the grief and 
um, fear and worry and anxiety. It's the gateway for disease, I think. Mm. It's the gateway for low vibrational frequency and everything matches your frequency. So you can't hang around there. Mm. You got to move it on. Like Jordan texted me yesterday. He missed a listing. He was very upset about it. I said, "Just move on, mate. Like, don't bring the energy with you." So whether it's that or it's a, you know, a, a divorce or it's a, it's a death or something. It's like you, you you can't stay there. You've got to slow, and it's not an easy move. Like you've got to slowly move yourself out of it. But you, when you stay in that vibration, let's call it unhappiness vibration. Mm. When you stay there that attracts everything that matches it. Mm. A disease does not match a high vibrational frequency. Mm. You know, it, it doesn't. It's so that's why if you can spend more time in the higher vibrational, and the way you, the way you understand it is emotions. So you're, when your emotions are always in that higher bracket, excited, passionate, keen, eager, and you've got to make these little, it's very hard in big jumps. Like you've got to make these little wins for yourself. Like I got on the treadmill this morning and that's a good illustration this morning. So did the ice bath, the breathing, the red light bed. I didn't really want to do cardio today. Mm. But I, I got on there and all I do is focus on the next five minutes mm. on the step machine. The step machine is not that easy. So it's like, instead of thinking 20 minutes or 25 minutes, I go five minutes and I go get to the five minutes and then I do the next five minutes and I have these little mini goals that Mm. I set for myself. That's how you move yourself out of the vibration. So like with you, I could see how broken you were. I could see it in your eyes and you used to have a real problem with suicide. Yeah. Suicide. You you almost tried to kill yourself a couple of times Mm -hmm. and it's like, and you were in this really dark place for a couple of years. Yeah. I could see you going back there. Yeah. You know, and I was like, as your dad, I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with Phoenix? Phoenix was like your other brother. I could just see the Paris. Like it was the brokenness that that event caused was like nothing I'd ever seen. Yeah. Talk about a bomb going off in your life. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, what am I going to do about this? As the dad, Mm. I'm like, I need to pull these kids out of this. Mm. Otherwise, I reckon I'm going to have another casualty on my hands. Yeah. That's where I thought it could see it going. Mm. So I had to lead from the front and I was, and this is the answer to health and all of this stuff as well, because when you're feeling in that space, you don't want to do nothing. No. You, you're a bit paralyzed by life. Like you're a bit like, you, you don't have the, you don't have the oomph to get up and say, let's go kill the world today. No. But what you can do is get up and start telling yourself a slightly different story, just mm. a slightly different story, like rationalize it a little bit more eat something that's going to make you feel a little bit better. Mm. Like, and I'm talking gently over time. You're not going to get up and want to run a marathon, mm. but go and sit out the front. And I saw you sitting out there one day, like sit out the front and just watch the sunrise. Mm. You know, have a coffee if you want to drink a coffee and just sit on a park bench, mm. not in your room. Mm. That's, that's a little movement. You know, be around people. And that's what I became. I wanted to become for you guys. Be around people that actually were like, let's go this way. Mm. Not sit in a room and say, let's share all these sad stories for the next five weeks. Yeah. Because that's going to do nothing but make you feel worse. Mm. Doesn't mean you can't feel a certain way about Logan or about anything else, but it's like, what can I do today that's going to make me feel a little bit better? Mm. Just a little bit better. Mm. Tell me how you feel after you eat a whole lot of junk food. 
Terrible. Terrible after. So a win could be, I'm just not going to eat junk food today. I'm going to eat some goat's yogurt, some pods. You know, that's a win. You know, instead of going and eating the Maccas because mm. it makes you feel good for five seconds. Yeah. So getting yourself out of grief is not easy, but it was like a, it's a gentle, gentle step. It's almost like gentle steps towards something better over a period of time. Mm. It's not a fixed tomorrow thing. Yeah. And your health will follow. How big is your team in McGrath? Um, well, my personal team is seven people. Me, Trev, Jordan, Charlie, Ash, Lisa, Ryan. And the team across the whole offices, I don't know, a couple hundred people. Lots of people. Um, who inspires you? You do, Jackson. Me? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, John McGrath, you know, usual people, but... Um, Probably like different these days. I'm like, I don't need a lot of inspiration. I, I like consistency. Mm. No, Do you like I, being the inspiration sort of for people? Sort of. Like the front yeah. runner. I like seeing what I feel like I can do. Like, you know, it's probably where I'm at now. Before I used to be like, only really motivated. But I, I find consistency is probably a more powerful thing than motivation. Mm. So, um, yeah, who inspires me? Well, I really love John McGrath, to be honest. Yeah, you talk about him a lot. I, like, I really like him. I and like, like your other, other, not just because they're wealthy, but wealthy people around you. Yeah, there's a guy called Gary Teak. Yeah. Very wealthy man. I'd, I'd call him a friend. Um, I don't go to dinners with him and things. He's a very private man, but he's a very nice man. Mm. He's probably like a good example for life for me. Multi-billionaire, the nicest man you've ever met in your life. Yeah. Didn't he come running back in or something to the office because he forgot to say thank you to the receptionist. Say thank you to a receptionist for, for water. giving a bottle of water. Yeah. He's just a great person. I like good people. Yeah. How is it really having so many kids? Overwhelmment or joy? I didn't like it at all. Mm. So I didn't like you mm. or your other brothers and sisters, all four of them. I was too young. Mm. Had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. Terrible time. Yeah. And then I, your mum and I broke up when we were very young. So mm. I had to manage you guys separately. Mm. Three days a week we used to have you. Yeah. So I used to have you three days a week and she used to have you four days a week. It's like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. So we used to do Saturday, Sunday, Monday, one week. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, next week. Yeah. And I was trying to work and then the holidays would come and your mum would be like, you're taking the kids for... And I'd be like, what am I supposed to do with them? I'm working. She's like, I don't care. You work it out. Yeah. I'd be like, oh my goodness. And, and money was a real issue. Like I didn't have much, but I'm quite generous as well so I always make sure everyone has everything yeah so anyway very difficult time then the two other kids with Shelly um Flora and Bay they're 12 and 10 now um I don't know I don't think I was really ready either like I sort of was sort sort of thought I was but um not really and I don't, don't really like newborns I find them very stressful mm. and then with summer now uh fantastic very absorbed in summer as a child because yeah. I'm far more positioned in life better to, to understand me. I just didn't understand me. Like, mm. you gotta, like I was like a very, I had a lot of trauma when I was young and then I was like trying to establish myself, build a business and things, very stressful thing to do over a long period of time. Mm. And then now I feel, it took me to about 50 to actually feel like I had a bit of a grasp of life. Mm. Before that I was 
it's just an anxious mess yeah. all the time. Trying to be someone, mm. trying to work my way through things, like very tricky. But in saying that, Tara is a champion. Shelly is an amazing mum. Like Flora and Bay's mum, mm. amazing mum, fantastic. They have they are blessed with the mum that they have. And then Tara is a fantastic mum as well. Like literally, Shelly and Tara, amazing people and amazing mums. And but with Tara, I said to her, I just don't like newborns. I just can't handle them very well. Mm. So she fully understood, and she's just taken the bull by the horns. I do help. I give summer a bottle every morning i help as much as i can with summer but i'm not a house dad i'm just not one of those people mm. so tara understands that though and but she has full support you think that's important yeah to find a partner that yeah understands yeah yeah because i do like working and i do like to be driven and i i love you know drawing energy from the next task and the next thing like i never very rarely sit and do stuff what makes this marriage different from the other ones um, like spiritually, um, financially, mentally. Understanding. Like I think Tara understands me more, mm-hmm. but probably because I was, I understand me more too. I could be clearer about it. Um, I'm never going to be one of those, you know. Um, like, You'd never be like, fish, fishing like, out on the no, front with a beer like or. Dad. I try. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm just, I just, I just haven't been great with kids. Like, as in, like, I can do short spurts. Like, I, with Logan, I loved the surfing aspect because mm. I was, like, very absorbed in helping him. Mm. Phoenix did football, but his mum actually did a lot of that when she was, or all of it, when she was, when he was younger. Mm. Like, I, watch him, I like watching him now. He's just a man mountain, plays yeah. for East. Yeah. Incredible young man. Um, but I was probably, like, some people would say absent because mm. I was working, but in my mind, I was always providing is what there's lots of kids as well yeah. it's like here's so many different places it's like that's why it should be a team effort do you yeah. uh, uh, how about this for a question if you and tara ended up getting a divorce one day oh don't say that <laughs> no 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 but like no. say you did with with summer would you be like so you know how you split the football up with mum and the surfing up with like yeah. logan and phoenix would you be a bit more in tune with whatever she was doing oh yeah or something yeah. Is that based, would you do that based on like learning over time? Yeah, that, I've learned a lot of lessons. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I have learned a lot. That's a good question. Mm. I learned a lot of lessons. Um, I'm a bit old fashioned too. I do, I do like the men role, women role sort of thing. I think it works really well. Mm. Like I think that um, both need support, both need, it's not one bosses, one around or one expected to do this, but I do like when the home runs really well and I do like, I've always seen my job as providing, mm. you know, and I'll, I'll give that 110% and then uh, with the home and things as well. Like I, I cook dinner, so I cook dinner whenever Tara wants something, I cook breakfast. It's not like I just walk in and sit down and expect my dinner to be delivered. Like I, I, I like doing that sort of stuff, but mm. I don't like housework and things like that and gardening and all those things. That is never me. Like, and You wouldn't go trim the fringe never penny outside? That, no. Yeah. no. But I see it as like I've got a... Um, provide to have gardeners do that and things yeah. like that so like we have a full-time housekeeper so yeah she's incredible um so like i'm very aware of tara that's probably what i'm looking for i'm very aware of tara yeah these days whereas before i wasn't i was very absorbed in me yeah and i'm still absorbed in me to a large degree but i'm very aware of tara needs her time 
Like, so I take summer when I get home and Tara does her cardio and she goes a shower and takes her time. And mm. if, Tara, if summer cracks it, I do spin out a little bit. I'm like, yeah. ah, Tara. I try not to bother her. <laughs> I do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try not to bother her, but I, I don't know what to do with her. Yeah. Exactly. But um, I'm all in to try and make their life as good as possible. So, mm. you know, um, Tara can do anything that she wants. I, you know, there's, I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm controlling at work as in like I like business to run a certain way. Uh, and I like, you know, the tasks to be done and this and someone's got to make sure that's happening. But mm. at work, she she has complete freedom to make any choices and decisions she wants. Yeah. And I'll always say, yeah, like whatever, whatever she wants. Yeah. So um, that's probably something I've developed over time, an awareness of what's important to Tara is definitely really important to me. It's just how do we make it happen? Yeah. Yeah, good I just one. Don't want, I just don't want to compromise my morning and night routines. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one says, "How do you manage on it? How do you how do you move past from things, whether it be an ex or missed opportunities? Move on. Yeah, you just, always say that. Just, just move, move on. on. Just move on. Like, would you say you you would? Because if somebody asked me that, I'd I'd just say go to the gym. Like, no, make your just, mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how you do it yeah just move on like mm-hmm. you've got it you've actually got it you've got to see it as momentum so whatever that has brought so let's say it's a missed opportunity you're spewing about it i just see it as momentum mm. i created that i attracted that mm. there's momentum around it it's hard to just move away from it in two seconds because it hurts you think oh i should have done this should have done that but i try and give that as little as tension as possible you, you do your mind comes back to it but i start to focus on what is going right mm. what can i focus on like my last divorce was very difficult mm. like financially like i got a pretty large company i had to pull it all apart you know pay money like all this sort of stuff and rebuild and mm. i but you know i was very focused on rebuilding so uh, and taking care of shelly at the same time making sure she was fine and the kids are fine and rebuilding over here it's very very hard sometimes mm. but i um but when you're focused on what you can do so you can't do anything about the thing that's happened mm. but you can do this over here so mm. what does that look like not drink focus on the next opportunity be happy mm. Bashar says a great thing I, I follow Bashar a lot Bashar says regardless what happens in your life stay excited how do you do that though stay excited but how I'm excited just to be alive mm. well how do people get to that level like a, lo- a lot of pain yeah <laughs> yeah like a lot of pain as in you've got to go through the bumps to mm. say all right well how do i want to operate in this moment mm. how do i want to be so i can be sad or i can be okay you're not going to be happy but mm. i can be okay because sometimes i feel like i'm running on a hamster wheel a little bit yeah you are like work, work. You're establishing yourself besides this last week mm. this last week or two sorry maybe a bit longer than that i've just like fully I'm excited excited just answer my own question but before that like i'd like it's like film, edit, gym, bed. Film, edit, gym, bed, walk dogs. Film, edit, gym, bed. Like I felt like a bit like yeah. going on this hamster wheel and I couldn't see it. And I'm like, oh, if my videos get better, I don't worry. I'll just fully answer my own question. But think about this, Jack. Yeah. I was only thinking about this in the gym yesterday. Mm. Your body will not change unless you get in there and do a rep. Yeah. That's it. Mm. Like you look, at the, you look at the difference in even people my age, 50-year-olds. Mm. Some look 70 and some look... 35 yeah like why is that it's the, it's the stress they've put on the body over time over time yeah and it's the decisions that they made around health and nutrition and all this sort of stuff it all adds up mm. but it's the it, what you said then it's every step every day is going somewhere so you like the 
that's why caffeine i will not touch caffeine again mm. i don't want the up and the down it restricts the blood in your mind in your brain by 40 percent mm. it ages you mm. but people go oh, i love the coffee well okay drink the coffee but there's going to be a cost down the track I'm, yeah promise you your teeth will be a different color your if you restrict your blood 40 percent and try and operate at your highest potential that day you're not going to so for me, I'm like, where am I going here? And my sights are set on 55. I say it all the time. I want to be the best 55-year-old on the planet. That's mm. what I want to be. Mm. So how do I do that? Make all these little boring hamster wheel decisions every day that are going to lead to that. But you've got to know what you're doing, though. Mm. You've got to know the little steps to take. Mm. You know, a step isn't sitting in the egg chair outside smoking bongs. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. it's not. Yeah. But you can do that. Yeah. We have complete freedom and choice. We can do that, but that's going to end up somewhere. So my sights are set on well, three years' time, three and a half years' time. Like, where am I going to be? What am I going to look like? What is that going to be? Mm. So that's why I go to the gym and I'm like, every rep counts. Now, just yesterday I said to Tara, I'm going to turn the volume up a bit more. How? How? Train harder. I've heard you say that, I reckon, three times this year. Train harder. We train so hard, though. I'm training harder because I want to sculpt my body even more. You know, I want to be, you know, in any part of any profession, any part of life, any circumstance, there's always an outlier. Mm. There's always one person in the world that is like, gee, look at that. But they've earned it. Mm. You know, they've earned it. They, no one sees the work that they put in before. And I'm like, well, it doesn't matter if I like literally was run, a running anxious mess for half of my life well what do i do with the other half mm. so now i'm like okay i can do a few things now mm. so why don't i really really focus on being an outlier in life get to 55 someone from america rings up and says or well, joe rogan contacts me one day and says hey i want to interview you <laughs> because how do you even do that yeah at 55 like what is that what 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 the hell mm. would you come over and do a, a podcast with me <laughs> i'm like hell yeah so it's like you don't know where that's how opportunity is created it mm. starts with you this inner drive for yourself to say no to stuff and to say yes to stuff to create the best version of whatever it is down the track mm. i want to be an outlier that's good um darkest moment oh too many to talk about yeah that's pretty much it. probably like darkest moment but i've been in drug drug houses injecting with a whole lot of drug drug addicts for days on end thinking to myself well, what the hell am i doing i've woken up in rooms i've been homeless i've just like woken up in rooms with nothing but you know needles and things and weed and don't know where i am and all this sort of stuff and probably the one of the best moments, I think, if I look back now, and when I say darkest moment, it's the darkest and the best, is when I appeared on Australia's Most Wanted. And that moment in time, and then I had to hand myself back into Sydney, in, in at Sydney, and go to the police station. And then I was like, I remember the, the, just before court, I was thinking to myself, okay, I just got to mentally prepare for jail. I have to mentally prepare for it. You were a big guy I'm, back then, I'm weren't you, as well? To, yeah, but it doesn't matter. Mm. It doesn't matter how big you are. There's way, way tougher Someone people bigger. to be in jail. But I remember like sitting there going, I think I'm going to jail today. You have to think about that. I was like, I really had to mentally prepare. I was, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll go. And then I'll work my life out after that. And I think that that 
then was probably one of the times I'm like, who really am I? What am I doing here? Like a turning point. Yeah. Then I went to, then I went to, not jail, I went to court and then the judge, I don't know, angels intervened and... Do you feel like something bad would have happened if you went to jail? I reckon I'd be dead. Mm. I don't know. Would you have known people? I just felt it was coming. I felt like death was coming. Yeah. In some way. I don't know how. But it's like, I I was a bit of a, I was a real mess. I was very irresponsible. I was just, had no regard for anything. Is that a scary feeling? I didn't care. That's what I was going to say. Were you content with it or? I didn't care. I didn't care. I I just was like, I didn't know any different, Jake. I just, that was just how I operated in life. Mm. But when I got a second chance, and I'd probably say that one of the moments from that, the bounce from that is when the, the, I still can see her so clearly. And she sat there and she said, Matt, I see some good in you. I'm going to give you a second chance. If, you, if, you, if I see you back here again, you will go away for half your life. You were meant to go to jail for quite a few years today. She said, I don't know what it is. I see some good in you. I had to do community service for a really long time. And it took me eight years to pay back the fines. Eight years. Long time. Mm. I never missed a payment. 50 bucks a week. Eight years. And what were then, the fines all for? Oh, all sorts of things. I had 14 warrants out for my arrest. Wow. And I walked out of the courtroom and I, the phone that I had was your mum's. Mm. And I rang Dino and I said, Dino, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm going to become Australia's number one agent. And that decision never left me. And that's what I ended up becoming. 